Hello and welcome to Kairos. I'm here today with Pastor Dale Gosden to talk about ministry with teenagers. Dale, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Oftentimes in the church today, we hear people lamenting the loss of our youth. There's not as many young people in the church, perhaps, as there used to be, and we wonder what we can do to reconnect with them. And so I thought it'd be good to get someone like Dale Long, who's spent a significant part of his ministry with teenagers, just to have a general discussion about all the issues that come up ministering to people at that stage of life. So, Dale, perhaps you can begin by just telling us a little bit about uh, your ministry so far and why it is you've spent a fair bit of time with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, I've been ordained for about 10 years and uh, serving as a pastor firstly in a parish in Darwin and then uh, at two different colleges in Adelaide, uh, Endeavour College and Concordia College. I'd already trained as a teacher before I became a pastor, so um, my teaching prac actually gave me some experience in ministry, helping out in some chapel services, taking some Christian studies classes. So I'd sort of hoped maybe in the future I could come back and still teach. And so I still am a teacher, but being able to minister to students and staff in a school setting is perfect for me. You enjoy this work, I imagine? It's... I do, yeah. I find schools are really vibrant places. These are, these are times in a person's life that they're never going to repeat again. It's such a formative time being at a school. You're growing up with people your own age, um, going through different phases of your life together, uh, so many formative experiences together. So I think schools are great. They're vibrant. Um, there's so much growth going on. There's lots of energy and excitement. Uh, there's different events going. Always something happening. It's definitely never boring in a school. Uh, so I enjoy being a part of it. Mm. And you're not that old, but it is a little while since you yourself were a teenager. <laughs> yeah. um, and so as you reflect on, on that, what do you think has changed um, for teenagers today compared to when you were a teenager yourself? Yeah, I think there's lots of things that are still the same. I think it's really important for everybody of every age, but certainly for teenagers to know that they are loved and that they're valued uh, and that they're valued by people they care about that are important to them. Um, uh, that they've got a purpose in life, that they've got meaning. All those things, I think, have been universally true forever and, and will mm. always be. So in some ways, that's no different to when I was a person, uh, a person, when I was a young person, younger person. Um, I think what's different, though, is there were times in every generation when people could find themselves uh, observing things or hearing things or experiencing things that they weren't really ready for yet, they weren't mature enough yet, and so maybe they stumbled upon it and then never came back. But once you've seen it or experienced it, you can't you know, reverse it. You've, you've, you've experienced it. I think that's always happened. Mm. Uh, and I think when people like you and I were growing up, uh, it was uh, easy enough to access some of this stuff. You could go looking for it or you could stumble upon it or have those experiences if you wanted to. Uh, but maybe it was just a little bit more difficult. Uh, let's say you viewed something on TV you might not see that show again, or if it's a movie, you might have to go to all the trouble of hiring the DVD and watching it again, or whatever it is. Or that's, the VHS. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> right. And that takes effort, right? And um, uh, even if it's a, if, uh, let's say it's a, a, a video that you shouldn't be watching, it's just inappropriate, there's the embarrassment of having to go and mm. get that. It might not be sinister, though. It just might be something that you're not ready for yet in that level of maturity. And it's just exposed you to something that you're not prepared for. 
So I think that can engender fear in a person or anxiety or just questions that they're not ready for yet. And that's the whole point of people presenting age-appropriate material, whether it's reading or plays or movies or whatever, language. Um, I just think today, though, that it's unlimited. You can access that stuff anytime, safely, privately. No one needs to know. And it's really difficult for uh, people or elders in a person's life, um, learned people who can give them sound advice to monitor it. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's more difficult for students now because... Um, they can still stumble upon these things, but then they can go back and watch them again, mm -hmm. or they can experience it again and again and again. No one's really, there aren't many consequences for it. They can get away with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so some of those things might be sinister, but some of them aren't. They're just things that make them have a greater focus on themselves, a, a greater self-awareness, and start comparing themselves with people that might be from all over the world. Like, we've always had comparisons. You mm. might compare yourself to a person in your family or your tribe or your school or whatever, but you can compare yourself to people which, and they're not even real people, yeah. as in they're pixels on a screen or they're people from, like they might be um, images that have been doctored in some way. But how do they process that? They're not mature enough to process mm. that. I think as adults, we're sometimes not mature enough. So, a bit of a long answer. But I think um, those are some of the reasons why I think it is genuinely more difficult growing up now just to get a grasp of uh, how do I make my way through this life? How do I discern what's real, what's not, what's helpful, what's not? How do I live up to the expectations that I've got? Mm. I think that's probably one other thing I'd say is... Um, we are so spoiled for choice right now. So there's limitless opportunities and the expectation is you can, you can succeed, you should succeed. Like there's mm -hmm. no excuse for not succeeding. Mm -hmm. But where do you succeed? Which, which area? I think there's a bit of anxiety about, well, gosh, I wouldn't want to stuff it up. I've had such a good opportunity. I've got so many different areas and then how do I make a decision about that? Whereas at different times, although it might, have, might not have been the most fulfilling vocation, people have had simple ch choices, yeah. do this, do that, find fulfilment in it. I think people really do struggle now with trying to live up to this expectation to succeed in all of these areas or a number of them and then not really knowing if it's for them. Yeah. So that's, that's something they struggle with, I think. Yeah, no, I've, I've, um, I've heard interesting stuff about how, um, you know, this burden of, of choice in the modern world and, and just how overwhelming it can be. And I think of um, even little little anecdotes about you know, very successful people who, um, who arrange or pay someone to, to choose their outfits for each day just to get around, you know, because... <laughs> One because less choice to make. That, that's right, because there's, there's just this endless, um, endless choice and, and it's, it actually becomes quite a burden then and this is expanded greatly when it comes to career choices or life choices, that sort of thing. Well, people are expected to have something to show for what they've been around on earth doing mm -hmm. uh, and because... Um, the internet allows you to see what everyone else is doing at your stage of life um, and you also have a platform to show other people what you are doing at that stage of life. You just have this natural comparison. Mm. I think because we compare ourselves with each other naturally, you just can't help but have it. And I just think you can get really sucked into that kind of vortex of spending more time um, doing things that are disconnected from real relationships mm -hmm. and even the environment and more connected to a reality which isn't actually real, mm. if, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, and so it's not about saying those things are bad. It's just about 
how do we, I think it's harder for young people, because we haven't ever been in this era before, how can young people negotiate their way through that to figure out, well, what's a healthy amount of interaction, what's unhealthy? If I've seen something that I'm not prepared for, how do I deal with it? And how do I resist the temptation to go back and see it again? All that stuff. I just It's sort of uncharted waters. Yeah. And for that reason, I think it's difficult for them. It's also difficult for people in my position or as a parent to go, well, how do I lead people through this? No, yeah. one's, no one's done this before. So yeah. it's, it's tricky. It's very interesting. That, so, you know, you point really to... To technology and, and the social media, mm-hmm. as some of the big big differences for teenagers today, I, I, I feel a real um, conflict about this myself. You know, particularly because we're making a <laughs> YouTube video and podcast the at the moment. Yeah, that's right, the irony. Um, and you know, sometimes sometimes I'll even ask people. I say, um, um, "Are you on Facebook? If you are, um, check this out and this out and this out." If you're not, I can't necessarily recommend <laughs> you go on there. You yeah. know, but but I mean, what I hear you saying is that there's Similar dynamics seem to be in every age and every generation for young people, but the the mechanisms and the means that they have now for for those being um, intensified or, or or taking on a more um, sinister shape, as in your words, um, seems it does seem to be one of the big big differences today. Yeah, I mean we've always had things to escape into to Mm. just take ourselves out of our own reality for a while as part of coping. So you can escape by reading a book watching a movie, going on a holiday, spending time with your friends, go for a jog, go, for, go to the gym. All of those are quite healthy, mm. I think. Um, but we also probably know of people who have lost themselves in that, become you know, addicted to exercise, mm. gym junkies, all these sorts of things. Um, I just think because we use technology so much, it's actually quite easy to justify losing yourself in this because you were doing your work, you were doing mm-hmm. some research. It, it was genuinely helpful it's just at some point, I don't, can't remember when, 45 minutes ago, I got distracted and how have I found myself looking at this page now? I just, I don't know, that's just happened. And so anyway, I just think it's made it more complicated yeah. and also easier to justify. So that's where I guess self-monitoring gets harder. Whereas if yeah. you've just been sitting around reading a book all day, someone's probably gonna say, you know, time to do something else or, yeah, yeah that's hard. Now, one of the things that makes um, your area of ministry particularly interesting is that you minister to um, Christian teenagers within a Christian school and obviously to many non-Christian teenagers who just happen to be going to a Christian school, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to someone like me in a congregation who, who works mainly with people who are already active uh, Christians or a youth worker or something like that. So I'm wondering as you think about um, the teenagers who, who you work with, if you can see any particular challenges for Christian teenagers today that may not have been around when, when you were one. Yeah, I've thought about this a fair bit. I actually wonder if it's maybe a little bit easier mm-hmm. even than it was for people like me. We talked about you know, how long ago that was, 20 or, or so years ago uh, when I was at school. I think one thing that makes it a little bit easier now is that we live in an age where um, tolerance and diversity are really highly regarded. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're values that people um, th- see as being very important. Uh, and so that has, I guess, created a fairly relativistic view of the world. And as long as your views don't um, impact on me, then I'm happy for you to have your views. I might think they're silly or outdated or antiquated or whatever, but you know, that's fine. I don't want to upset you by being intolerant of your view. And um, I actually want to say that I embrace diversity. So, you know, let's have your view, let's have my view. Um, 
I think where the, our views might impinge on each other or reduce each other's freedom, that's when you see some conflict. But generally, we live in an age where tolerance is so highly valued and diversity is so highly valued that people are almost happy to say, hey, that's okay. Mm. I think coupled with that is that people, I think, generally know less about the Christian faith now. And so they don't come sort of laden with baggage, which right. says, oh, you know, for the following reasons, I hate the church. I think the Bible's stupid and whatever. Often they haven't read much in the Bible right. at all. And the, their connection with the church is probably mostly through maybe television or media. Right. So there's almost a curiosity about it. And it's almost potentially interesting um, and then I guess you have flashpoints where you see negative uh, stuff about people in the media, about Christian people or, or whatever. Um, but people are usually smart enough to know that stereotypes aren't necessarily true. Mm. So as a result, I tend to think Christian kids today cop a little bit less flack than yeah, maybe Christians yeah. a generation ago um, and that there's maybe a little bit more openness as a result. Uh, and certainly nobody, very few people want to be labelled as someone who's um, uh, guilty of religious vilification. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, mm -hmm. if you vilified somebody, religious, mm -hmm. like, that's just a huge sin of today, mm. um, I think, in many people's eyes. Uh, and so we'd rather be tolerant and allow potentially contradictory views to coexist as long as we can all bring that in under the banner of diversity and, and tolerance and these things. So that's kind of how I see it now. Yeah. It, it resonates with my experience often, you know, in telling people um, that I'm a pastor when it comes to that point in the conversation, as you, as you know, with someone that can be a, um, it can, the conversation can go all sorts of directions from that point if you're yeah. meeting for the first time. And with, with older people, say, um, you know, uh, between, I don't know, 30 to, or 40 to 60, let's say, um, there's often a fairly set reaction, whatever it is, good or bad, they're set in it and it's, with younger people, I'm often surprised at the mm. reactions. It ranges from, um, you know, they're not, I'm talking about non-Christian people, um, oh, cool, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah. how is this cool, <laughs> you know, what, what, do you, what do you mean exactly? And sometimes we get into that, but other times it's, what, what's a pastor? Absolutely no idea. Yeah, it's you know, a clean slate. Yeah, that's right. And there's, there is a genuine curiosity there. Um, I'm curious with those with those teenagers who who don't have a Christian background in the school. It, you know, do you see much um, openness there beyond that that sort of surface level curiosity? Are there um, you know for those of us who would love to see more young people coming to faith in Christ in our in our day? Do you think there are reasons for hope um, there? Oh, for sure. Um, I've been really encouraged by what I see say, in some Christian studies classes, as um, I don't think it's any surprise that education is strongly linked to greater understanding here. Uh, it's sometimes maybe been understated in our own church how the, the, I think the most common title for Jesus among his disciples was teacher. Mm -hmm. um, Lord, for sure, obviously, all those things that, that we know him to be. But teacher is crucial. Uh, and so the more people uh, can understand the the depth and the breadth of the story of the faith and understand how it makes sense and our place in it and the purpose of it all. I've seen a lot of kids, um, yeah, the curiosity turning into something much bigger than that uh, and, and a sense that um, what has been said, whether it's by me or somebody else, rings true for them. How you measure all of that mm. stuff, mm. I just don't even really bother trying because it's mm. so difficult. Um, but certainly anecdotally from what people have come and said to me at different times about how important whatever it was I said was, mm. you get the sense that, well, I can't do God's work for him. 
um, but I feel like I've, I've, I've fulfilled my, my calling for this time and place and I've said what I needed to say and it, it's, I guess, put the word out there as best I can and let God do the rest. I mean, I'd love to say I've got all these strategies for mm. then how to harness that, but I just think it's too complicated mm. and people are on such long journeys um, that we're just called to be faithful here and now. Um, that's but, about it. But one thing I do hear you saying there in terms of a, at least a, um, an emphasis in your ministry is that you, you certainly wouldn't be one of those who, who wants to water down the Christian faith in, in passing on to students but, uh, and young people, but rather wants to get into robust, deep, Themes yeah, of for sure. Faith with them, and yeah, without a doubt, I mean, they're, they're exposed to all sorts of mm. deep, compl- complex, and complicated things. I, I don't think there's anything really in the Bible that's going to frighten them too much. Uh, certainly, issues that might be we talked about whether they're mature enough to handle it. Now, there are things in the Bible which you know, as a kid, you don't get taught, and I think that's okay. Mm. There's a time where you can understand that stuff, and there's a time where it's just too early to, to understand that. So, yeah, yep. there's, there's areas we don't go to. Um, but in general, you know, you want to be able to say most of the things that, that, that are written in here have a really clear purpose, and if I can't explain it to you, then I'm not doing my task very well, mm. and I, I need to do a bit more homework. But, yeah, there's, there's important stuff, and we see it in particular. I, I certainly find one of the harder services to take is the Ash Wednesday service. Hmm. It's often at the very beginning of the year, and sometimes it's almost been the first service of the year or the second, you know, the first proper service after the opening service. And so the, almost the first thing you say, and there are all these new students, 100-and-something students is effectively, uh, you're going to die one day, get ready for it, mm-hmm. and, where, where, and where are you going to end up? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know... Those are confronting things to say to a person at any time, and here we are enshrining it in a service. So, but it's so important that we say it, uh, and that we say it the right way, and that the gospel is the the, the final word um, that we say. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We actually add a bit in the school, and we, we give them, uh, having put the dust on, we give them a flower, and we say, um, but remember, in Christ you are a new creation, mm-hmm. just so that they can take something away from it that's more than just death because mm-hmm. we all know that that's not the last part of the story anyway. However, it, it's hard to kind of bring this stuff up, but there, there are things that happen in the life of a person and sometimes they're in that very same year mm-hmm. where that cohort, that uh, they're touched by uh, something that's happened either personally in their own family life or something in the life of the school. And without having to go back and say, you remember, I told you about that, you don't have to because you, you just know. And, and you might um, allude to it in some regard, but usually Easter's probably happened by then and you mm. say, well, we talked about this and Christ suffered for us and Christ brings those who have faith in him uh, from death to life and all that kind of stuff and, and it just brings it together. But I would never say, oh, it's too harsh. Don't talk about that now. You can tone it down or you can, you can, overbalance, uh, you can overemphasize it sometimes. I think mm. having balance is important, mm. so... Hmm. So you, you touched on before the, some of the challenges of, of teenagers in our day with uh, technology and social media and the way it's, it's developed. I'm wondering what other things might come to mind for you when you think about challenges for a teenager in 2019. Um, I think one of the issues with older people ministering to and with younger people is, is we often, people just don't actually know what's going on in their lives and, yeah. and what, what their challenges are. If you were to think about young people who may come to talk to you from time to time in, in the school setting, what sort of common themes that, that come up in young people's lives these days that they're struggling with? Uh, 
We talked before about those fundamental things about acceptance and feeling loved and valued. I, I still think those are the main things, but they're just amplified because they are in contact with people through different means, but they're not really in contact with them personally. Mm. And I think that just means they get a, a false understanding of their own place and their own self-assessment or, or even the assessment of other people and, and looking for validation from other people. We need it. We need to be validated in, in, in the right order. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about being validated by being made in the image of God, but you still got to have validation from, in our case, our wives and our families. Mm -hmm. Like, that's important to us. It's, it's mm -hmm. who we are. You wouldn't uh, want to change that, but having it in the right order is important. I just think that they, they're looking for that. And they're at a time in their life where they are pretty insecure um, and they're looking for what's going to define them, you know, and th that's why these are formative years and, and uh, ill-placed words or, or um, behaviour that's really awful that seems like nothing could just change or characterise that person for maybe not for life but for a long time. Mm. And so I think that's why school can almost go either way for some people. Some people just say that was brilliant, I loved it. Yeah, a few bad times, but generally excellent. And others, it only takes a few things the other side and they're like, yeah. I hated school and that's marked me for life. So it's about working with that and just trying to say, well, <laughs> giving them some tools, I guess, to say, well, let's get that order right mm. and let me talk about how God sees that order. But just understanding this is a difficult time. They're going to go through this anyway. They just have to get through it, I think. And just your comment there about how God sees these things is a good segue into what I wanted to ask mm -hmm. next, which is that as a pastor in the school setting, a lot of time with teenagers, how, how have you found that um, the Christian message can particularly speak into these sorts of challenges that young people face? Uh, I've tried to think a lot about Jesus' call to discipleship for his first disciples back, back then and then also now and, and just give some images for it because there are lots of different ways of understanding discipleship in the kingdom of God and all these kinds of things. I, I think a helpful image certainly for me, so I hope it's helpful for others because they probably hear it a bit, uh, is talking about Christ really calling us away from paths that lead to death and that, that give the impression that they, they lead to life and blessing but actually don't. And calling us away from that and calling us to his path, which is the only path that leads to life and to blessing and to, to joy and or joy that lasts and fruit, or the fruit of the spirit, things like peace that, that last for longer than just a fleeting time. I think there's lots of things in life which are good gifts from God um, and give you those things, but it only lasts for a time. And so I think the call to discipleship is basically Jesus saying, you're on a path, but it's not going to lead to life. Mm. Come on this path. In fact, you're lost. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to bring you back onto this path. It's the path of righteousness. And this is the path that leads to life and to more life and to blessing. Uh, you might not see it beyond this, this point, but it, knowing that it's going to have rea uh, ramifications for the way you live your life mm. um, and, and what you put your trust in and then how you wade through the amount of choices that are just raining down on you. So I guess Psalm 1 is a helpful kind of image for this. Yep. You know, there's the way of the righteous that the, that the Lord watches over and then there's the way of the wicked which will perish. So I've used some of those images just to say, you know, God is calling us to this kind of path and that's what it looks like in this, this element of our life, whether that's to do with orders of creation or just to do with our relationships, the way we react with each other or where we put our trust and our confidence. 
I try to put it in those mm. terms. And I, I guess I try and do that because I feel like they're getting offered these paths all over the place. There's prob it's probably more than they can count. Uh, and they'll invest in one of them, mm -hmm. I think, or a few of them. And it's really about saying, well, is, is that the path that God's calling you on? Because there might be great things that God has for you. I'm sure that there are great things that God has for you on this path, the path of life. It just might not be in the order that you think it should be. Mm -hmm. But what do we really know about what order it should be in? We, that's going to be disordered itself. Mm -hmm. Look, it's hard to go through all those things. So, you know, sort of sh shove it down them all in one go. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, we look at these things in time. I've looked at uh, other images like uh, Christ calling us to, to take his yoke upon us and saying, well, we, we've taken some yoke on. We've picked, on, we've picked up something. We're heading in a path that we think is right. But what we found out is this thing's heavier than I thought. Mm -hmm. This isn't leading me to where I thought. It, it's had some good points along the way, but it's not going to where I want it to go. And Christ doesn't say, oh, there's no burden. He just yeah. says, I've got a different burden, but my yoke's uh, easy. My burden's light. And, and rather than saying, so what would Jesus do? Which I think is a, that's an okay question to ask. I think it's more like, well, where's Jesus going? Uh -huh. If I'm in the yoke with him, where, and he says, um, um, learn from me as well, that whole thing about the teacher. Come along, walk with me, learn from me, and I'll drive you in the path that leads to life in your relationships, in your work, in your vocation, all that stuff. So, uh, look, it's not that I speak on these topics in particular, but that's the imagery I'm sort of trying to bring yeah. when I'm formulating informs your ministry into the I think context. so, yeah. yeah. And it makes a lot of sense, you know, with people at this stage in life looking out on the on the vista of possibilities yeah. to talk about paths in life and, and also to be realistic, as you say, about not promising too much at this yeah. stage in life. You know, become a Christian and the rest of your life will, will be like a river cruise, but actually there's still a yoke. Um, the path of discipleship is still a, is still a costly path. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it makes me think of, um, I did a video recently with, on Jordan Peterson and, and some of the success he's having in speaking to young people. And one of the things that he says is, you know, life is not easy and there is, there is a tough call to, mm. um, to, to take a, sometimes an adventurous path in life but a difficult path in life. And this resonates with young people um, in, in some way that, um, at a deep, in a deeper way, I think, than, than some of the more, you know, trite and... and, and soft ways of talking about the paths forward. Well, we've lived a life of indulgence for a pretty decent period. Mm -hmm. uh, we've just had prosperity like no other generation has known it, for, certainly that I can tell. Um, and what has it brought us? I mean, sure, I can go and do so many things. I, can, I don't have to wait for my birthday to go and buy a certain stuff. I just buy it now. Mm -hmm. um, we've just got this unprecedented prosperity. But I don't think it's made anyone more secure or any more, um, well, no, certainly not happier, um, and yet what we find is, like what you mentioned with Jordan Peterson, this whole idea of sacrifice, mm. this whole idea of service, um, or even just an idea that the way I order my life might be completely wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> it makes sense, but it, it, it's not actually correct because what do I know about life? Whereas mm -hmm. if I said, what if there was a creator who actually made everything and he knew what order life should be and what if I just gave it a shot? Uh, so I, I, I probably term things a little bit like that and just yeah, say, well, yeah. you, you, we all know the, the, the ways out there that you can try and I'm not here to, to, to rubbish them, but I'm just saying this might be one you haven't given a shot. Yeah. 
Now, Dale, I'm just, uh, I really rejoice that there are people like you who, who spend their time ministering with teenagers because a lot of us um, just don't feel particularly equipped and, and, and able to do that in the same way. I think, if we're honest, a lot of people are actually scared of teenagers, you know. Um, and, and, but I wonder, even for someone like you who does it on a regular basis and seems to enjoy it, what do you find most difficult in ministry with teenagers? Um... I gave this a lot of thought. I actually don't find it that difficult. I, mm. I understand why people do. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I had such a positive experience at school myself. Uh, I enjoy being around students. I find them generally, they can be quite funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I enjoy their enthusiasm. I enjoy um, their passion for different you know, causes and tasks and things that they do and the ideas they have. So schools tend to be places where there's a, a lot of enthusiasm and vibrancy and life and I think that's a lot to work with. Um, I actually find it sometimes harder to work with adults because, see, students, whether rightly or wrongly, they sort of see a lot of potential in the future. You mm. know, like, they, 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 if things aren't great now, well, there's potential to change it. And uh, they've got all these life choices open to them, a fair bit of freedom. Now, whether they'll get there or not and whether it will bring anything good, they don't know that yet. And they'll, but they've got a lot of hope. Whereas there are plenty of adults, and I'm not even talking about particularly old adults, where they've, they've done their study or they've made up their choice for their career. It's come with certain um, consequences. So they maybe they've got married or in a relationship, they've got a house. They've got all these re- responsibilities. They might have children. It's pretty hard to change tracks that mm-hmm. time. So if you're happy with your lot, that's great. But I think there are lots of people who aren't. Mm-hmm. And I find they're the ones who tend to be give the impression they're a bit defeated almost you know they're not getting a lot of joy out of life Mm -hmm. because they go well I can't change it now or to change it would be so difficult whereas I don't think students see it that way as much there are some who do which is really sad so for that reason I actually find it pretty easy Mm. working with students was probably good given that I do what I do praise the lord (laughs) different gifts in the body for different different ministries yeah maybe Um, and Um, perhaps to return to my intro thinking about the wider church and sometimes the, um, the frustration of people, the laments of people and the amount of young people that, that have fallen away from the faith or, or don't practice anymore, don't go to church, that sort of thing. Um, someone from sitting in your position, do you have any reflections or, or comments on what the church could be doing better to connect with young people, to, to retain them in, in the practice of the church? Yeah, I've, I've just certainly given it some thought. Um, I think a, a sad... Oh, a sad aspect to our life in the church, particularly in the LCA, is that um, we, we're very critical. And so I'd hate to say, here's another person who's telling the church what they're doing wrong. Because I think we've had so many people do that, either from within or from outside. And I've, I feel like I've been to so many church functions where people were just crushed. They just mm-hmm. say, well, we, we've mucked it up again. We've been doing it wrong for 30 years and... Who would have thought we've spent all this time praying and seeking God's will and yet we've clearly stuffed it up? So I just don't want to add to that um, because I'm so grateful for the people who have served us in our church for, for, for all the time that they have up until now. So uh, I don't want to say, yeah, the church is blind in these areas. Um, I think if I want to say there are some reflections that I'd encourage us to look into for the future and Others might see it differently. I, I would probably say an image that I found helpful in the way that I would approach this is, um, and forgive for those people who don't like football, I'm sorry, but take any code of football you like or sport 
Um, but just introducing somebody to a game, I would never take an uninitiated person to a game of football, soccer, rugby, AFL, whatever, and say, sit down, enjoy, catch you later. Mm-hmm. Everything's here. You, you'll fit in. Because they'll be confused. They just don't know what it means. There's so many rituals involved. There's uniforms. There's, there's songs. There's, there's just so much wound up in it. People are wearing colours and scarves and what does it all mean? Mm. I wouldn't leave them at the ground. I wouldn't leave them to watch it in front of the TV. Um, and I have done this, you know, because I've got two young kids and I've initiated them more or less into football. Mm. That's a picture that really resonates with me. I've taken inter- international guests to the football. Right. They sit there the whole time asking questions. And, right, you know, yeah. exactly. And, and you, it would be silly, it would be negligent really to just say, off you go, mm. best of luck. They're, they're not going to, if you, you want to pass on the game of football that you probably love, I love, mm-hmm. uh, for better or worse, um, that's not going to do it. So you... I probably spend some time preparing them for what they could expect to a, to a certain extent. You can't teach them every rule or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's a long process of initiation, really, and integration. Mm-hmm. I just am not sure, and again, I'm, there'll be people out there saying, no, we have done this, but I, mm-hmm. I haven't experienced it since when I was a young person. And as a person in ministry, I haven't heard anybody talking in those terms about how do we help integrate young people into the life of the church. I've heard a lot of people with good intentions, talk about how can we do things so that young people will like it more. Mm-hmm. But I think those are very different things. Um, so, for example, if my son said, I don't like the, the Port Adelaide song, I'm a Port Adelaide supporter, or the Crow song, I don't like the song, and a lot of people my age don't like it, I don't think they're going to change the song. I think, <laughs> I think what's going to happen is we'll teach him the song, we'll teach him the story, we'll teach him the mm-hmm. important people who have made the club what it is, we'll teach him the importance of all these things and... I find more often than not they're drawn into it mm-hmm. and they want to be a part of it. And we teach them the language, what you call out, what you, sh- what you don't call out at a game. Um, and I think in terms of the, the... And they go from being a spectator to a participant. Yep. They're still spectators, but they're participating. It's different. And I think it's the same. I know I'm talking about worship in particular, mm-hmm. but it's obviously a fairly important part of it. I just wonder if we've given much thought to integrating young people. So let's say they go on a camp, Christian Life Week, or a youth camp of their own. I often think for good reasons, good intentions, they create an atmosphere which is people of the same age, a really intense but great faith-forming experience, but it's not something that can be replicated easily. And uh, sometimes they do say that, that's, this isn't going to be replicated, but I almost get the sense that we hold on to the next one, hold on mm-hmm. until the next one, mm-hmm. or maybe a youth activity or whatever, mm-hmm. where you can say, well, how, when are we ever going to be in a room with like-minded people of the same age? Whereas if you're trying to say, well, we're integrating you into a, a family mm-hmm. where everyone's of a different age, I just think you can do that in a different way um, without, without saying, well, your views don't matter. You know? And so if I've got another picture, if you just permit me, mm-hmm. uh, the other picture I use for this is, say, Christmas lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, so this might be familiar to people, but generally everyone gets together for Christmas lunch and there might be not enough room in one room and so you have little sections, but generally it's one meal. We all eat the same food. The kids definitely don't dictate what we're eating mm-hmm. or drinking, although we have food for them mm-hmm. that they can handle and, and, and enjoy. But we, we have traditions that they're brought into and adults act like adults, the children act like children and they probably get presents and the adults don't and whatever. There's special events for them. But... They learn how to be an adult by being part of that. And, um, and I wouldn't want to change that. And, and also, you wouldn't say, well, we can't all fit, so um, kids are doing their own 
Christmas lunch one day and adults are doing their own, even though over the course of the meal, you break off into your own groups by the end yeah. of the time, right? Fall I, asleep on the floor. And, yeah, yeah, well, whoever does <laughs> that. That's right. And I just think that's a reasonably accurate comparative picture for the church. And they say, well, this is the family and we want to honour the people who've been here the longest because mm-hmm. we're grateful for what they've done, what they've provided. We don't let them just dictate everything. And they, don't, they shouldn't dictate. Out of love for their family, they should pass on these things in the best possible way um, and have input from younger people. Um, but there will be times where we're separate and we kind of do our own thing, but, mm. but you would never say you do Christmas on your own and we'll do Christmas on our own, adults and kids separate. Like It's, it's got to be together. Mm. So I would just love to, to hear someone in the church make some plans, and they may well have done it, about how do you integrate people, young people into an experience which is not going to be like a, a, a mountaintop experience, if you want to use that term, but it is going to be like normal life. Mm. Um, and then how can you also nurture them individually or in the you know, age-appropriate stuff for them too? So the that's great images, part. Dale, yeah. The, fo- the football, introducing <laughs> the football and the Christmas, Christmas lunch, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you've heard responses that, that we say in church, right? And mm-hmm. I've loved hearing my own kids say those responses at home, out of context, mm-hmm. or sing parts of the liturgy. Mm-hmm. And I've just gone, they know it. And, and we've made a little bit of an effort to help them integrate, but... I wouldn't say we're world beaters or I'm not writing a book about it. Mm. Um, but if we can do that with young kids, I'm sure you can do it with people of any age. Mm. And I would just like to see that balance mm. come up a bit. I mean, the thing that occurs to me with both of the images as well is that fundamentally they rely on you knowing the person as well, having oh, a relationship. Caring so, about them, yeah. That's right. And so you hear this again and again that, um, uh, you know, I remember surveys done amongst young people who stay in the church, have left the church, that sort of thing. And having these key relationships with people is just so important. And, and, um, and I've had this experience myself with teenagers where um, they might look somewhat disinterested and they might look like they don't really want to engage. Um, and then you ask them a very simple question about how's life going or whatever, and they light up and, mm. and they want to talk. And they're actually, like you said, they're, they're really longing for these sorts of things. It's all part of that, that need for um, belonging and, and that everyone's striving for. Um, and, and when those relationships are in place, then I think these things can happen more authentically. Well, particularly when you're able to articulate for them how this is a story which is beyond even the last 2,000 years. This mm. is one that goes back to prehistory. This is one that has affected uh, one nation in particular, um, mm. the nation of Israel, but then had a, an enormous effect on the whole, whole of history, the whole, whole world. Um, that we say that God actually came to earth in the person of Jesus and you can know him and he wants to know you and wants to shape your life and live in your heart. And not that the Bible is a book of instruction, but the Bible is going to enlighten your life. Mm. If you can do that and show that how this has shaped people throughout the ages, I just, I'm convinced that people will say, I'm willing to listen rather than, well, if you do, don't do it on my terms, then I don't want to be involved. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, I think there's a time to say, oh, you know, God bless you and we'll we look after you, but we can't let you dictate mm-hmm. the way it works because I don't think that attitude is helpful. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, about reading people. I think I, I forgot to say when, one of the difficult things working with younger people is, is reading mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. because you can definitely get the impression that they're not listening. Or you can maybe get the impression they're really enthusiastic and, and maybe they don't follow through in the way that they promised. But I actually find that with adults too. I've probably learnt to not let that be the main yep. gauge. 
and just say, well, okay, if I get it too many times, then I might ask for some feedback from some other people about, is this hitting the mark? Mm. But more or less, I, I, I just want to make sure that I've done what I've been called to do faithfully. I do ask for feedback. Uh, and as long as those important people uh, continue to endorse what I'm doing, then I, I won't bank too much on the reaction and I'll just trust that there's something deeper going on. Mm. I certainly hope there is. Yeah, that's it. Well, Dale, really appreciate your time today for coming on and talking about ministry with teenagers and God bless you in your continued work. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And we are back for the bonus lightning round with Dale Gosden. Uh, Dale, if you were an animal, what would you be and why? I'd like to be one of those migrating birds that can fly a really long way and just disappear for a time and then come back if I need to. That's great. That's a, that's a new one on Kairos. I like um, it. Favourite movie? Back to the Future 1, mm-hmm. but I like the whole trilogy. Is this called Back to the Future though? It is. Yeah, just yeah. to clarify. <laughs> I like the trilogy, but the first instalment, very good. Yeah, oh, it was definitely the best. <laughs> Favourite place in the world and why? Uh, I've been very lucky. I've lived in Austria uh, in the mountains and I would go there in a heartbeat if I could. It's just, I love running there, I love skiing there, I love being there, it's just brilliant. Dancing and singing in the meadows. Yeah, it's good. If you have to sing karaoke, what would you sing and why? I really like David Bowie, so I'd probably, I don't know if I could sing it, but Let's Dance or uh, Young American, Mm. I like, I like David Bowie. What's the worst job you've ever had? I once had a temping job for one day where there was a nurse's strike in Dublin and so I just needed to sit at a desk and they said, you can answer this phone when there is an inquiry, but you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. <laughs> and I didn't know what I had to say to the person if they were inquiring anyway, because I knew nothing about the organisation. So I sat at the desk and didn't answer the phone all day. Right. Uh, then the job ended because the strike ended. Um, what's a book that we should all read that we probably haven't? A book that I read a while ago that I loved uh, is Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates. It's been made into a movie mm. as well, with Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Kate... Winslet. Winslet, thank you. Really good book, really good movie. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, I've been told that if you ever feel that you've achieved something good and you're getting a bit proud of yourself, that there's always someone better. Always someone better than you. And uh, I think that's probably... Well, it's definitely true. There's heaps of people better than me, actually. Mm. But... Um, in case you're ever getting ahead of yourself, there's always someone better. So just mm-hmm. keep humble. And if you go back in time and, and speak to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to him? Uh, I would say to him, whatever you're doing, if it's about growing in your own in confidence and whatever, that, that's fine. But every opportunity you have to build up someone else or encourage them or make them feel good about themselves and not make it a reflection on you, but just them and build them up. Take that opportunity. Let's be characterised in the future by the way that you've treated other people and built them up and not characterised by being nasty or selfish or in it for your own gain or whatever. You just just don't know what difference it might make to the person Mm. right then and there and how it might shape their life. It probably won't make a huge difference, but it could. Uh, and anyway, let's just do that rather than the opposite because there's enough people kind of pumping themselves up. So that's what I'd tell myself. Mm. I don't know if I would have listened. <laughs> <laughs> Worth Dale, a shot. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. <laughs>